Aloha. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. Welcome to The Body Show. Each week we talk about health and fitness, but none of this replaces a visit to your own primary care provider. Do you swallow well? Do you ever feel like maybe things go down the wrong pipe every once in a while? How do you know if what you're doing when you're chewing and swallowing is the right way to do it? Do you just wait until maybe you have that uncomfortable cough and realize that maybe there's something wrong? Well, we are going to talk today about what is normal swallowing, abnormal swallowing, and how to know the difference. We are lucky to be joined by speech-language pathologist Emily Whitehouse. Thanks for joining us today. Absolutely. I'm happy to be here. Now, you work at Queens Medical Center in the inpatient rehabilitation department, and you treat and evaluate lots of people in the hospital who might have swallowing or communication issues. But that's not all that happens when people think about swallowing, because not only should someone be evaluated when they've gotten to the point where they're in the hospital for something, but sometimes there are some things they can do earlier on to help figure out how things are going, maybe intervene early. So let's talk a little bit about normal swallowing. So, you know, we swallow all day long. We It's unconscious. We don't even realize it. What is the process of normal swallowing? Absolutely. Um, So we actually swallow, the average adult swallows about 900 times a day. Wow. Um, So it happens quite frequently, about three times a minute for a normal, healthy adult. Um, And it's one of those things that you want to work well, and you really take for granted uh, when it does work well. So when we talk about normal swallowing, um, we kind of break that down into three phases. Um, When you think about it, there's part of swallowing that happens in your mouth. So as soon as you put food in your mouth or take a drink of liquid. There's part of your swallowing that happens once it starts to go down your throat. That's kind of the mystery to most people, what happens in there. Um, And then the third phase of swallowing is what happens when it enters your esophagus. So from the esophagus down to the stomach. Um, So in a normal person, they would take a bite of food. They would start to chew. It would mix with saliva. Your mouth, your tongue actually makes it into a nice soft ball called a bolus. Um, And your tongue does this nice wave-like motion to start to move that ball of food backwards. Um, And then once it gets to the back of your tongue, kind of that reflexive part of swallowing starts to take over. And a lot of things happen. Um, Your soft palate elevates to close your um, oral cavity and nasal cavity so that food and liquid doesn't go up your nose. Um, The back of your tongue actually pushes back really far to the back wall of your throat to start to really force that food ball down. Your larynx or your voice box does a lot of things to close to keep food from going down the wrong pipe. Um, And then a stripping wave or a muscular wave happens inside the throat to really push the food down and into the esophagus. I find myself swallowing, (laughs) trying all this as you talk about it. I'm like, oh, my soft palate, it just elevated. Oh, my tongue went towards the back. So this is an unconscious thing for people. The, when it's working normally, we don't put that much time and effort into swallowing because it's working normally. It just happens. We can enjoy a meal and talk. We can have a cup of coffee with our friends and have conversations, laughing. Um, of course, you know, you're, there's always a risk for things going down the wrong pipe. It happens to all of us. And happening occasionally is normal. Um, But, yeah, we should absolutely be able to just have a meal, enjoy talking. It's a very um, social experience and really not think about what we're doing. And you should be able to swallow if you're standing on your head. Pretty much. Exactly. I'm not suggesting anyone stand (laughs) on their head. I'm just saying that this is a normal reflex. Absolutely. Reflex. Okay. So what is abnormal swallowing? How do things go wrong? 
So things can go wrong in any one of those three phases that we talked about. Um, People can have weakness in the muscles in their mouth for a number of reasons. Same thing, weakness in the muscles in the throat. Um, Different neurological conditions can impair the reflex of swallowing. And certainly there's a lot of things that can go wrong in the esophageal phase, which tends to refer sensation into the throat. So people might complain of things are stuck in my throat when in reality uh, they may have some condition going on in their esophagus. So that's why a lot of people are told, no, your throat's normal, but you have reflux. And they're like, I don't have any heartburn. I don't feel any symptoms. I just feel this thing in my throat. But in fact, because of the smooth muscle of the esophagus, which is a slightly different muscle than that you might have on your arms or legs, that referred discomfort, you feel it in your throat, but that's actually coming from something further down in the esophagus. Exactly. Most of the people we have come in to see an outpatient speech-language pathologist who are otherwise healthy adults um, tend to have a normal um, swallow as far as their mouth and their throat or what we call a pharyngeal swallow. That swallow looks normal. Um, And when we start to look with an x-ray or a fluoroscopy, we will see that actually they're having trouble in their esophagus. People don't, don't necessarily believe it until they see it. And seeing on some of those tests is really believing. I mean, I've seen some of the some of the fluoroscopic images after someone's had this test called an upper GI series where we watch them swallow stuff and have them lay down, turn around, go on their side, etc. And you can see a large quantity of fluid for some folks that's kind of sneaking out of that lower esophageal sphincter, that area that closes off the top of the stomach. When they see that amount, they go, oh, okay. Yes. So that's a very common source of problems. Mm-hmm. Other things, I mean, strokes, I imagine, could affect the neuro neurologic process going on? Absolutely. So in the hospital, we tend to see people who have more of that acute onset of not being able to swallow. And that tends to be some kind of neurological condition. Um, A stroke, perhaps they've had a history of Parkinson's without a lot of trouble swallowing, but then they get sick. And then that um, that mild problem can be exacerbated. Um, head and neck cancers, which we're seeing, you know, an increasing population of, tend to have an onset of trouble swallowing somewhat before surgery, but most definitely after a resection or reconstructive surgery. Um, so those are the biggest things. Also, we see a lot of patients who have a baseline um, pulmonary condition, like COPD, that will begin to have trouble swallowing if they have an exacerbation. And why would that be? Because that's really dealing with their lungs, but they're having trouble swallowing. Exactly. And that's a question we get a lot. But it's two separate tubes. Why is it not working right? Yeah. It is two separate tubes, but um, those two things require an immense amount of coordination to work right. Because to swallow without things going into your lungs, you actually have to close your airway for almost two seconds with every swallow. So if you're breathing at a rapid rate of maybe one breath every two seconds and you have to stop to swallow, especially during a meal where you're swallowing frequently, then that process can become discoordinated. And that's why you have trouble. And that's why you have trouble. Exactly. The respiratory rate may get higher and higher as people start to eat. Um, or they may find that things get discoordinated and they experience aspiration or food or liquid going down the wrong pipe and making you cough. So let's talk about that process of food going down the wrong pipe. We've all had that experience occasionally where, you know, you're drinking, you don't think about it, and all of a sudden, oh, that's going down in my lungs and I start coughing a lot. So every once in a while if that happens, that doesn't indicate a serious disorder. But when would it be a problem? When would you start to worry that that process was kind of alluding to something more significant happening? 
Um, that's a good question. I would say if it, I tell my patients, if it happens to you once a week, if it happens really infrequently, if you know, like, you know, I was talking and laughing when that was happening, it's probably normal. Um, if your family members start to kind of look at you or ask you, does that seem to be happening more? Or dad, you cough all the time during dinner. What's going on? Um, if there's nothing else going on and you're just trying to drink your coffee and you're coughing a lot, there's probably something going on you should get checked out. A lot of times, in addition to the coughing, people tend to have other symptoms. Um, they may begin having a really soft voice or changes to their voice, hoarseness. Um, they may begin having maybe some slurred or, or, you know, poorly coordinated speech. So oftentimes um, the trouble swallowing is seen in combination with maybe some other changes. So definitely coughing during meals, um, coughing during the night just on your saliva because maybe you're not swallowing well or swallowing as often, clearing your throat a lot, or hearing that kind of wet, gurgly voice while you're eating or even after you're eating. So these are all signs of concern. All signs of concern. All right. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio. You're listening to The Body Show. Today we have Emily Whitehouse in the studio. She is a speech-language pathologist and works at Queen's Medical Center, mainly in their inpatient rehabilitation department, but has plenty of experience in the outpatient area as well. When we come back, we're going to talk some more about how do you know if you're swallowing correctly? And if you're not, what can we do to help you? We'll be right back after this quick break. Stay with us. Support for The Body Show comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributors, locations, Nohea Gallery, and Straub Medical Center. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with speech pathologist and language pathologist Emily Whitehouse from Queens Medical Center. And today we're talking about uh, the process of swallowing. A lot of things medically can affect how we swallow, and that can affect other types of problems like infections and what we call aspiration when sometimes bacteria or even food particles get into the lungs. And those sorts of conditions can cause really serious pneumonia issues that can be quite quite potentially lethal and serious and requires some significant treatment. Now, for all intents and purposes, if you have somebody who has this beginning sign, you mentioned vocal changes, they cough a lot after meals, does that mean that they have a serious problem or do they have something where they could start treating it, working with their swallowing habits, trying to modify these these muscles. I mean, I kind of wonder if it's such an unconscious process. How do you consciously work on it? That's a really good question. And the most important thing um, is that if you think you're having any of these problems, that you talk to your primary care physician before you start trying things on your own. Um, so I'm a primary care physician, and I don't know what to tell somebody who comes in and says that. Yeah. So some of the questions are... Um, I would call you. You you might call me, um, and that would be good. So you kind of want to start investigating, Is are there other things going on? And maybe this is just what they're coming in complaining of. Have they had changes to their gait? Have they lost a lot of weight? Um, so do they maybe need to see a neurologist prior to being referred to a speech-language pathologist? Would they benefit from um, you know some other imaging? Or maybe they need to see a GI service or a gastroenterologist or an ENT, a head neck physician. Um, but we do get a lot of patients referred directly to us first. 
And with, you know, interview and with some assessment, we can actually help kind of point a primary care physician in the right direction because the test can be quite revealing as to what might be the underlying cause. Because swallowing problems don't really happen in isolation. They are a symptom of something. Something in the body is going on causing difficulty swallowing. And we really like to know that that primary cause is being addressed before we start to address, so what do we do about swallowing? So let's talk about the most common primary causes. Uh, The most common primary causes um, in the outpatient world, reflux. That is the most common primary cause of complaint. Um, Neurological conditions, absolutely. Especially in the elderly population, we have a higher incidence of Parkinson's. Um, Certainly strokes have an extremely high um, probability of having uh, dysphagia or difficulty swallowing. Um, So those, I would say, are the two biggest uh, categories. And of course, there's those, uh, you know, kind of what we call Um, more of a silent neurological condition like ALS, where your first symptom might be difficulty swallowing. So once you've identified the primary cause and you treat that cause, if, if there is treatment for it, what kind of exercises or are there exercises that people can do to improve their ability to swallow or to improve their voice as a result of what's going on, their voice might have changed, what can they do? It's not hopeless. It's not hopeless. Absolutely not. Um, So one of the first things we try to do after an assessment is to figure out, first of all, how can we get you eating safely while we work on this? What can we do to help you be able to eat and drink without things going down to your lungs and causing you to be sick? You know, is there anything you can eat and drink safely at this point? Um, So we try to get people on a safe diet. So safe diet consistencies with whatever kind of strategies seem to be beneficial during our assessment. Um, And then we recommend exercises. So depending on what we see on an instrumental assessment, um, we can tell if there's weakness in a certain part of the swallow. In other words, man, that tongue base just really isn't doing a good job pushing the food down. Or, ooh, that voice box is really not able to elevate so that the airway can close. Or, wow, the, um, you know, the, the muscular wave in the throat is just not really effective at pushing the food down. So we look at each of those areas and we figure out kind of what is the greatest area of weakness. And then we can start some exercises. And like you said, it, in an unconscious process of swallowing, It does become very conscious when you start to think about the exercises and people will tell me all the time, I never knew I could do an exercise for my swallowing. Um, But one of the most common exercises we do is simply called the effortful swallow. And it's just taking a bite of food or using your own saliva and swallowing with extra effort. So really um, engaging and focusing and pushing the food down. Yeah, I'm trying that with saliva right now. I'm like, I'm going to put an extra effort swallow. And you really do. You can if you put your mind to it. You can actually sense some of those things that you were talking about and really sense that in your body. So I guess that whole idea of it's unconscious, make it conscious, take the time to do that correctly. Really, if you do that more often, you might be able to improve the overall situation. Does it matter if you're having these problems with solids or with liquids? And is that telling you something different depending on the consistency of what you might be, what, if, what you might not be able to swallow? Yeah, absolutely. Usually people who have trouble with liquids are people who are having trouble coordinating the swallow. In other words, liquids are kind of um, spilling over the back of their tongue and they've lost control of that liquid bolus. Again, that kind of ball of um, whatever you're swallowing. And it can kind of go into the airway before they're ready to swallow. 
Um, with solid foods, it tends to be more an issue of strength. So the muscles are weak and they're doing an inefficient job of pushing solid food down. So it, do, it is very telling. A lot of people, unfortunately, have trouble with both, um, especially you know patients in the, the neurological disorder population tend to have trouble with both. Um, as far as the exercises, I would say with liquids, you're typically focusing on getting the airway closed. So we do a lot of exercises that just work on vocal fold closures. So can you get your vocal folds closed nice and tight on purpose? Um, so that can include a lot of pushing, a lot of pulling, a lot of kind of um, voice exercises. So those are kinds of things we would work on with someone who is having trouble with liquids. Now we're talking about adults, but this could also happen in infants and children too. Absolutely. This is a, a disorder that can happen across the lifespan. There are speech pathologists whose entire focus is in the NICU. So working with premature infants on you know, coordinating and learning to suck, swallow, and breathe. So really, a- any age. Any age. Depending on the age, certain certainly different likelihood of what the etiology may be. Mm-hmm. But this is not something that is just as you get older, as you you know get into the age where strokes or other sorts of problems could occur. This could happen for anybody. And in fact, reflux is, again, a, sort of a hidden cause of a lot of problems. But in this particular situation, it really can cause some damage that you don't have that muscular coordination any further. Makes it harder for you to do your normal swallowing effort or even to do the exercise. Mm-hmm. Exercises as well. What are some of the unique things that Queens Medical Center has in their rehabilitation department? There's something new that I had not even heard about before we were going to have this discussion. Fiber optic, fiber optic endoscopic evaluation of swallowing. What is that? So that's a long, long name. Um, and we abbreviate it as fees. Yeah, I thought and, that meant money. I'm like, right? what? what? What's going on? <laughs> it does cost money. Um, so fees is one way we can assess swallowing. Um, we have fees availability at Queens in the outpatient department as well as in the inpatient department and also in our facility at West Oahu. It's available on North Hawaii as well. Um, so what fees allows us to do is to use a little camera, so a scope, um, that we look past through the nose and we can look inside the throat while someone is swallowing. So as opposed to the x-ray test, which I think people are more familiar with, where we watch the food or barium go down, which shows up as black on the x-ray and we can see kind of where it goes and... um, you know, what happens to the bolus while you're swallowing, fees really lets us look at the tissue. So for patients with reflux, we're kind of able to see those markers right away when we look down there with a camera, you know, kind of red, inflamed, swollen tissue, where it, you know, should not look like that. Um, So getting a good look at tissue really lets us kind of assess how things look before we even have someone swallow. Similarly, we can also see um, how people are managing their saliva. That's a big issue in acute care. When some people are in the hospital, um, we find that people swallow less just by being hospitalized. We don't necessarily know why, but people in the hospital swallow less frequently than people who are outside the hospital. And that goes across, you know, no matter what kind of illness they have. So we're able to really look in with the camera and see what's going on with their saliva. Is Are they able to swallow and clear that out of their throat, or is even that a problem? All right. That's a whole new world. I didn't even realize in the hospital 
you swallow less. I wonder if it's just for patients or providers as well. I'll go check it out. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak, and I'm in the studio today with Emily Whitehouse, and she is a speech and language pathologist at Queens Medical Center. And when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about other things that speech and language pathologists can do. It's not just about swallowing. There's a lot of other areas that they can help people with. And we'll find out more about that in just a few moments. We'll be right back after this quick break. Stay with us. Support for The Body Show comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributors Inter-Island Solar Supply, Kaiser Permanente, and Hastings and Pleadwell, a communication company. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with Emily Whitehouse, and we're talking a little bit about swallowing, and we've been talking about how do you know if you don't swallow correctly. One of the other things that can often happen if you have reflux or a variety of the other types of problems that occur is that it can also affect your vocal quality, your ability. A lot of times as people get older, they hear that their voice is different. Maybe it's not as strong as it used to be. Maybe it's not as deep as it used to be, or maybe it's even deeper than always it's ever been. So what are some of the changes that occur with something so recognizable as someone's voice. And is that ever a sign of trouble? I often think that when I have patients come in to be evaluated who say their voice has changed invariably, depending on their other risk factors, we find out that sometimes the situation has to do with damage to the vocal cords, either from reflux from from stomach acid or from another reason. So what changes to the voice and how can someone's vocal quality give you a hint about what else is going on? That's a really good question. Um, And we do see a lot of patients, especially in the outpatient setting, who have concerns about their voice. Um, A lot of times they're people who tend to be heavy voice users. So, for example, they're teachers or they're coaches or they sing. Um, And those people are very in tune to how their voice sounds and how it normally feels. And they tend to be the people who might have more problems just from overuse. Um, So they may complain of hoarseness, um, changes to the volume of their voice. I can't talk as loud as I, you know, once could. Um, So a lot of times when we hear that complaint, we certainly ask questions about reflux. We ask a lot of questions about coughing because sometimes people have a chronic throat clear or a chronic cough that maybe they developed in response to an allergy or a cold, but then it kind of became habituated where they feel like they need to do it all the time. And you can imagine that coughing all the time can have you know a detrimental impact to your vocal cords. It's very um, sensitive tissue. Uh, one of the other things we do is we palpate the throat because what we find is that maybe um, people are really overusing the muscles that it takes to produce voice, and that can lead to um, you know poor vocal quality over time and pain. So all of these things, really, you can detect when you notice your own speech is different or you're very highly in tune to that. Or if a family member says, hey, you know what, you used to talk differently. Your voice is raspy or there's something going on. This could be a sign of concern. And there are some easy things that you can do to evaluate what a potential cause could be and thus be able to help someone with treating that. Because a lot of times people will get hoarseness and they'll just feel like they just don't have that 
vocal ability that they used to. And it really can affect a lot of variety of areas of your life. can make people not want to talk very much. And granted, that may help their voice to recover. But still, if it doesn't completely, then they may not socially interact and engage. I mean, it can have a far wide-reaching number of different effects on someone as they get older. So speech language pathology services include identifying these sorts of areas of concern and helping to have someone figure out a plan of action. Do you have any folks that you recall? I know you do a lot of inpatient evaluations. Anybody you can think of that is sort of a success story that you've had recently? Um, You know, Fortunately, in inpatient rehabilitation, we see a lot of success stories because people come in and they're really ill. Um, And, you know, they're usually not back to their regular self by the time they leave the hospital. But we do see some pretty dramatic progress. And it kind of just depends on what happens. But I certainly think that some of the more um, gratifying cases that I work with are people who experience head and neck cancer. Um, They're often younger people kind of in the prime of their life. And they experience this kind of, you know, devastating diagnosis of a cancer that is in your mouth. It's a very, very present place. Um, It affects their ability to communicate. It affects their ability to eat. Um, It affects their ability to work. So when we can take those patients after they've been diagnosed, or really we see them, you know, as they've been diagnosed before they have surgery, and we start educating them about the changes that might happen. um, And then we're able to be there postoperatively to start that rehabilitation process of being able to eat again, being able to speak again, addressing each individual concern of, hey, I just want to be able to, you know, talk on the phone. I want to be able to order in a restaurant where, you know, without people saying what or, you know, not understanding what I'm saying. Um, So I think for me personally, those are the more most gratifying cases. Now, you mentioned earlier that sometimes people who have this trouble with particularly, you know, order in a restaurant, if you can find food that you can eat that helps you to swallow better, then that's something that can be safe. But what if you can't? What if there is no ability or you've lost the neurologic ability to manage the swallowing aspect of things? Is that a situation where we start talking about feeding tubes? It is, and that's a very hard situation. Um, So we do talk about feeding tubes when people are not able to swallow at all. Um, And then where does their saliva go? I mean, so if you have a feeding tube and you get all your nutrition through the tube, presumably you don't have reflux or that's being treated so that you don't have that go up. But, but where does all your saliva go? That's a great question. And, you know, we know that feeding tubes do not eliminate the risk of aspiration. They will keep you nourished and hydrated. But we can't stop aspiration from happening because people make saliva. People do um, have reflux. People do have – they do vomit. Um, so things are going to come back up and people are going to aspirate. But some of the things we can do are, you know, we offer suction machines, which is, you know, that's not a great – thing to have to do. But there's also medications that can help with kind of um, making you produce less saliva. So we actually recommend that quite a bit as well. So it's a whole multitasking approach. Exactly. To really try and figure out what works best for the person. Mm -hmm. Now, how would someone get referred for speech and language testing? Is that something that their primary care doctor can refer them for? Do they need to go through a neurologist? Do they need to see a gastroenterologist? How would someone get to interact with the specialty that you provide? Um, In Hawaii, we're not required to have a referral. We do like to have a referral. Um, We like to have... Some information, like know to, what's going on. We like on. to have sure. information. We like to have known that someone's doctor has evaluated them, um, that there's nothing major, you know, going on that we're going to miss. Um, and then 
the doctor can refer them for speech language testing. And it'll usually say on the referral, this is for voice. This is for swallowing. They're having trouble finding words. They've had a concussion. Um, So we get all these different referrals. But absolutely, it's a conversation to have with your primary care doctor. And that's the that's the starting place. Yes. And then depending on if you're being seen in an inpatient setting, clearly that would be because you've been admitted to the hospital and have some other type of a need that yes. would require additional evaluation. Mm-hmm. And for children, obviously, it would come from a pediatrician. Um, unless you're in a public school and then the referral might come from a teacher. But in the um, more medical or outpatient world, even a pediatric referral for speech sounds would come from a physician. And again, you know, the whole idea of the concept of being able to speak requires all of these muscles in coordination again. Exactly. A lot more effort put into this whole process than I think I ever realized. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It just makes me want to go try some stuff and mindfully swallow <laughs> a lot to see how that goes. So in your situation, you're working in the inpatient. You have colleagues who work in the clinic. You guys work together. So if you've seen someone in the hospital, they may follow up with your colleague in the clinic and then provide that extra instruction if they need it and additional information. Exactly. There's really a continuum of care throughout the community. Um, we have outpatient speech pathologists who might see you you know, while you're well. There's inpatient speech pathologists who will see you in the hospital and send you back to outpatient speech language pathology. Um, there are therapists who work in skilled nursing facilities to provide rehab you know, after a hospitalization. So no matter what, if you've got a speech or language problem or a swallowing problem, we know how to fix it. Exactly. All right. I want to thank you for sharing your expertise with us today. Thank you for having me. My engineer today is David Chong, executive producer, Beth Ann Koslovich. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. We will be here next week hearing more about how to swallow and talk and all sorts of great medical things right here on The Body Show. We will see you then. Mm-hmm.